0: Welcome back, dear listener. This is episode 131 of the Iron Fist Velvet Glove podcast. It's the 24th of January 2018. With me, Scott the Velvet Glove and Paul the Twelfth Man. G'day, Trevor.
1: How are you? G'day, Trevor. G'day, Scott.
0: We're all good, dear listener. We're a little bit hot here in podcast headquarters, Paul and I. (laughs) I'm in a new room and it's hot in Queensland and... Uh, no air conditioning. We had a fan going, but to maintain some sort of audio quality, we've turned the fan off and we're just sweating away with a couple of beers to keep us cool. So we're doing our best in that regard. And we're going to kick off because it is the 24th of January and I'd originally come up with a list of topics and I didn't include Australia Day and the 12th man, well, you didn't chastise me, but you said, I what are you bludgeoned doing?
1: I you into submission. <laughs> So we've got to talk about Australia Day, I think.
0: So I said, sure, Paul, let's talk about Australia Day. What do you want to say?
1: (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, uh, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Every year uh, we come up to Australia Day, the um, anti-Australia Day rhetoric uh, seems to get louder on the part of uh, certain members of our Australian community. Mm -hmm. The Greens uh, are going full bore to try and have the date changed. Uh, certain, I suppose, for want of a better word, conservative elements are resisting that push, and I think there are a lot of us in between who are not necessarily you know tied to the twenty sixth of January mm-hmm. but would like some pretty good reasons to change it so
2: um, look, I did I think a I put myself in that boat, actually yeah, I would I'm, like to I'm, see some I would like to see some more compelling reasons about why we should change it, but i not overly attached to the date, and I can see some of the reason for the change. <laughs> anyway, yeah.
0: How about you, Trevor? You know, I don't have a strong um, feeling about the date of Australia mm. day, one way or another. Yeah. Then, yeah.
1: Well, anyway, just just very briefly, we we know that uh, the history of the day was um, the day that Captain Arthur Phillip landed with the first fleet at Sydney Cove. Now he had, in fact landed in Botany Bay a few days earlier on probably the 18th of January. Mm-hmm. They stayed there a couple of days. They couldn't find water. Now, obviously, if you've got 1,500 people and you're trying to start a colony, even a prison colony, yep. number one, you need water. Yep. And they uh, didn't find it around Botany Bay. So he, he set off with a few mates up the coast to Sydney Cove. Now, they they had the maps made by James Cook, I believe, so they knew sydney harbor was there although i don't think cook actually sailed into sydney harbor because he would have he would have chosen it over botany bay if he had it's a much
0: right. much better place but um so, so, so Sydney Cove is within Sydney Harbour. Sydney
1: Cove is what we now call Circular Quay. Oh, is it? Oh, right, it is that yes. exact
0: spot there, right.
1: So yeah. it's no accident that the, the CBD and, the, and the, um, you know, the busiest part of the, the city of Sydney is, uh, starts from there and runs from the harbour oh, up the uh, George Street from there. Twelfth Man, I've learnt
0: something already. I didn't realise it was that exact
1: It's that exact spot. place. Okay. And in fact they stopped there because there was a, a nice little creek running into the harbour in, yes. in that location. You would have done this in primary school called the Tank Stream. Right. Now, apparently, I may be wrong, but I, I was told years ago, like when I was in school, the Tank Stream may still flow, but it's been totally built over. So it's, it's an underground creek now, if, right. it, if it does still flow. Right. Anyway, that's why they stopped there and they, you know, they, they pitched their tents, they raised the flag. But, in fact, he didn't declare the colony until a few days later. In fact, it was the 7th of February right. when he made the proclamation to, to formally establish the colony of New South Wales. So there you go. We have already another date that we could call the beginning of settlement. You know, officially was mm-hmm. the 7th. February, interesting. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so anyway, on we go. Um, When was the first Australia Day uh, actually celebrated? According to what I found on the internet, it looks like it was uh, 1818. So 30 years later, um, Governor Macquarie. Uh, acknowledged the 26th of January as a public holiday. So that was the 30th anniversary of that uh, first landing in Sydney Cove. Um, and it was proclaimed a public holiday in 1838. So That's a go. decent history for the date. Indeed. Mm. So it goes back far further than what some people are are saying, you know, it was only since 1994 we celebrated it. Mm. Now, it wasn't consistently celebrated throughout the country, obviously, because Australia, as we all know, was a bunch of colonies up until 1901. But uh, in 1871... Oh, actually, I should mention that it wasn't called Australia Day in 1838. It was called... um, I think it was called Foundation Day or First Landing Day. Mm -hmm. Now, 1871, the Australian Natives Association, and Mm -hmm. we we know that's not about our Indigenous people. These were people who were born in the colony. Oh,
0: white people born in the colony. Well,
1: Europeans born in the colony, and they they had what they called the Australian Natives Association. Now, they advocated for the 26th of January to become... A national holiday. Uh, in so we know, federation came in 1901. Uh, in 1915, when was it? In the, during the First World War, there was an Australia Day celebrated. I think in July, wasn't it? Um, hang on, I had it here somewhere. 30th.
2: Of- 30th of July is what I saw on Facebook. Yes,
1: I think that's right. But mm. that was apparently to raise money for the war effort during World War One.
0: Okay. Anyway. anyway uh, so there's just a temporary choice of an alternative day because it was yes, convenient at the time to raise some money. That's and they, right. they didn't want to wait until January the following year. Okay. Perhaps.
1: Now, in eight, 1938, there was a celebration of the sesquicentenary, so that's 150 150? years, uh, celebrated in Sydney and, uh, let's see, state premiers, all all state premiers apparently attended, although apparently other states were not keen on that particular date because they saw it as the beginning of New South Wales, Mm. not as the beginning of their individual colonies. True. Uh, Let's see, we go on... Um, it was It was also in thousand nine hundred and thirty eight that the uh, some Aboriginal leaders met in Sydney for the first time, I believe, and they called it a day of mourning and they also uh, at that time were beginning to seek full citizenship rights, which uh-huh. as we know they didn 't have in uh, nineteen forty six the Australian Natives Association again prompted um, the formation of the Australia Day Celebrations Committee, which later uh, merged in or morphed into the Australia Day Council. And the purpose was to educate the Australian public about the significance of the day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, this I found this very interesting. It wasn't until 1948 that the Nationality and Citizenship Act was uh, passed uh, to actually give us Aussies Australian citizenship. We were apparently British Subjects up until that
0: time. What? Nineteen forty-eight. Nineteen forty-eight. We were still getting. a We were British... still British
1: subjects. In fact, um, uh, up until
0: later than that. Uh, uh, where is it? So we were dual. We were automatically dual citizens, yes. uh, essentially. That's What you're right. saying, yeah. Yes. So we had Australian passports mm. before that date, presumably. But presumably, yeah. I'm not sure about that detail. Yeah, but okay, we were automatically. So... Uh, British citizens as well. Yes, yeah. but
1: 1948, it's amazing, isn't it, that we were still more British officially than almost than Australian?
0: Well, you
1: know... But, but anyway...
0: Yeah. Uh, we, yep, we have changed, yep. <laughs> so,
1: 1979, the federal government established a National Australia Day Committee to make future celebrations of Australia Day truly national and Australia-wide... In ni- 1984, it became the National Australia Day Council, which was incorporated as a public holiday. Uh,
0: That's when we really started to celebrate.
1: Yeah, and it wasn't... <laughs> look, look at this. It wasn't until 1984 that we ceased to be British subjects. 1984. Right. In 1988... All the states and territories agreed to celebrate Australia Day on the twenty sixth of January. So that's nineteen eighty eight. They all agreed that's the day for Australia Day. Nineteen ninety four, uh, the celebration was actually established nationwide. So, what so, did you so think? we all
0: agreed in, in nineteen eighty eight. Was that ninety eight or uh, nineteen eighty eight? Nineteen eighty eight. All the states and territories agreed right. on that date. Okay, and steadily now it seems to be councils that are. Leading the charge That's right. to local
1: councils, yes, because they
0: seem to be in charge of the celebration aspect in terms of you know fireworks, they and run stuff. the little celebration, yeah, and things. so they seem to have used that as their um, well, they've got a little bit of power, yes. And you, you know, some of these local councils can be you know persuaded on almost anything. I mean, there's a huge number of them who don't uh, fluoridate water anymore because of crackpot um, fluoridation um, theories, so. Yeah. They're liable to any.
1: um, So, would you like some alternative dates, gentlemen, for Australia Day?
0: Well, just to pause for a moment, Scott. Have you got Have you got an alternative date, Scott?
2: I thought the first of January being the uh, Federation anniversary.
0: Okay, so Federation because most appropriate because our Constitution was um, uh, commenced on the first of January. 1901. Yes, and so, that mm-hmm.
1: some people refer to it as Commonwealth Day because yeah. that was the beginning of the Commonwealth of Australia. Yeah, It'd be a great mm-hmm. day,
0: except it's on New Year's. It's day. on New Year's Day. It's
1: already a holiday. <laughs>
0: That's right. If it wasn't for that, that would be the day. Easily, wouldn't it? How about, uh, January yeah. 2nd? So, so, jan- about January second? What about January second? Why just oh,
1: extend the um, long weekend?
0: Yeah, yeah, no, but keep going. So, okay, but so yeah, I've got. Uh, I've got one in mind, Okay, uh, Torthman. Um, I'm wondering if it's on your list. It might be. um, So, dear listener, we were a series of colonies, which were basically the states, and recognised that we needed a federation because you need one for defence and money and (laughs) things like that. And so the states had a series of meetings where they drafted a constitution... Giving, agreeing to give up powers that they already had for the Commonwealth to have. That's what the Constitution's all about. So the states negotiated that. And because we were basically uh, colonies of uh, Great Britain, um, England, United Kingdom, whichever one, I'm not sure I lose track of those, the differences between the three. But in any event... Um, we had to send a delegation to London to present the constitution um, to the British Parliament to get their permission, mm-hmm. and uh, they, there was a bit of toing and froing where they wanted some amendments, which at the time allowed some appeals from our court system to still go to the Privy Council, and after a bit of toing and froing. Uh, Queen Victoria approved the bill on the 9th of July, 1900. And the bill was framed such that it would commence on the 1st of January. So, 12th man, I'm putting forward a possible date being the 9th of July.
1: Well, we all know what's wrong with that, don't we?
0: Well, it's uh, offensive to Monarchus. No, <laughs> no it's oh, not oh, in no, summer. No. Oh, right. Seriously, it's <laughs> not in summer. No, but we need, one at, we need one at that time of year, you know, towards the back end of the year, because we've got too many at the front end. So,
1: yes, but you've forgotten... You know, uh, how we
0: celebrate. We celebrate Australia in summer at the beach, in the park,
1: on the bar- you know, at the barbecue. That's what it's all about. Mm. And uh, I'm sorry, okay. it might be okay in Queensland, yeah. in Darwin... But it's not going to be okay, so much okay in the southern states because they are much cooler in the winter.
0: Good point. But Was, was that one of the dates you had it listed? It was, in fact, okay. yes. Yep. But okay. look,
1: there are others, if I may. Yep. There is uh, the 3rd of March when the Australia Acts came into effect, removing the United Kingdom's ability to legislate for Australian states and the Queen's ability to disallow or suspend state legislation, also severing... Uh, appeal channels to the Privy Council of the UK. Can you believe it? Up until 1986, we were still tied to the the apron strings of the mother country. Important
0: constitutional questions Mm. could find their way to the Privy Council. That's right.
1: Some others might be the 9th of May, which was the day when the first federal parliament opened in Melbourne in 1901. It's also the same date, apparently, when the Provisional Parliament House was opened in Canberra in 1927 and the new Parliament House in 1988, all on the 9th of May. 27th of May is the anniversary of the 1967 referendum. Which enabled the federal government to legislate with regard to indigenous Australians and include them in the national census now surely that one would make our indigenous brothers and sisters happy it 's not bad uh, there's also the twenty fourth of uh, November, this one might make you happy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in that period when we don't have many public holidays. Yeah, so yeah. the
0: 24th of November... You could get some pre-Christmas shopping done with a day off like that.
1: That's right. <laughs> Perfect. It when was 20... the day when Henry Parks gave his famous oration in Tenterfield. Oh, uh,
0: Paul, in if we're going to mark days where famous speeches were done... Like, well,
1: it was a very significant speech because it was the speech that uh, gave a lot of momentum to the push to federation. Right. Okay. Yeah. So it did have a very uh, good relationship with the, you know, birth yeah. of Australia as a, as a yeah. nation. And well, Eureka Stockade. I think I don't think many people would be fans of that one. That no, was a bit of a rabble. No, that's a long shot. That one. Yes. Twenty yep. sixth uh, of January. How about this one? This is an interesting one, I thought. The 26th of January in 1824, the first sanctioned marriage... Now, I take it that means the first legal marriage of an Indigenous woman and an Englishman. OK? The woman right. was known as Maria. I don't suppose that was her Indigenous name. Mm-hmm. And his name was Robert Locke. Hang on, mm-hmm. That's on the 26th of January. The 26th of January, the same date. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? Right. OK. But that
0: doesn't help us if we're looking to... It doesn't help us. But you're giving it a different reason.
1: But it might, yeah, throwing it in a different light for our Indigenous brothers and sisters to give them something to think about. The actual merging of the the Europeans and the Indigenous Australians, I Mm. think it has a a, a very poetic significance. What do Mm. you think, Scott?
2: Um... I'd never heard that story before. Um, it is some. It is a different light on Australia Day, isn't it? Mm. And I do like your uh, argument. I suppose you'd call it that. You could say, well, you could say to the indigenous people, look, this was the merger of European and indigenous culture.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. One way of uh, addressing it, dear listener and gentlemen, is to look at, well, oh, what are other countries doing, and. When other countries celebrate their national day, it uh, basically falls into two sort of categories. Uh, newer countries celebrate their national day as a day of independence, so when they broke away from some other power that was controlling them. Or older countries use some other event of special significance as their national day, um, Denmark and the United Kingdom are among the, one of the few countries that do not have designated national days. Uh, got a li- I've got a link to an article which... Really? Uh, yeah, a link to an article that has a map and it basically shows the world and it's colour-coded as to those countries whose national day is independence-related, as in fighting some sort of war or or if not a war, at least achieving independence um, peacefully, like, say, Papua New Guinea, when they broke away from Australia. They didn't break away. (laughs) And achieved independence. Well, uh, in terms of achieving independence from Australia. Yeah, but I
1: think the Australian government basically said, look, guys, uh, it's It's time time you stood on your own two feet.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And encouraged them to be independent, I think.
0: And some would argue way too early. Some would argue that. Yeah. Um, And when you look at a map of the world you know, the majority are that colour of the National Day is mm. related to that sort of either physical or either uh, war-related war or peaceful um, sort of breakaway mm. from a sovereign power. Um, the other sort of major category would be the unification or revolution-related, where take, for example, Canada their national day was when they basically formed their constitution, if you like. Um, So uh, if we were talking about the 1st of January, a similar thing where their constitution took effect, that's what Canada's done. And um, so, there's a few other ones. Uh, I think Japan is the first emperor's ascension. Um, Yes, but that's
1: that's an interesting one. I I looked at that as well. But Japan's first emperor is pretty much a mythical figure because that was, what was it, about 500 BC or something, wasn't it? Six. Oh, 660 BC. Very good. Emperor Jimmu. And, uh, but they call it National Foundation Day. But, look, I've studied Japanese history, and I can tell you 660 BC, the Japanese people were not the Japanese people that we, um, that we know and love today. What were they? Who were they? Who knows? I don't think anybody really knows because the Japanese language is actually in the same language family as Korean, Mongolian and Turkish. In other words, it's a sort of northeast or Central Asian group of languages and it's pretty well accepted, I think, by anthropologists that the, the Japanese that we think of today with their Japanese language... Uh, migrated into the Japanese islands through the Korean peninsula and they've probably first settled in the far west of Japan in where we now call Kyushu and then they migrated up the inland sea area to to the city uh, of Osaka, where Osaka is now. Now, that became the, the heartland of Imperial Japan of imperial Japan in the ancient era. Mm. It wasn't Tokyo. Tokyo is a fairly
0: modern capital. Right. A recent development. But Pres- t- Presumably the Japanese are happy with their national day. I don't have any uh, oh, look, dispute. Yeah, here. I mean, I, you know, they're... It would be interesting to know how many countries actually are... Uh, seemingly as divided as we are over the National Day. but,
1: like, my point is I don't think we should put Mm. too much store in a a date like 660 BC for the Japanese because it was a very primitive um, place in those Yeah.
0: Um, Here's an interesting one. Trivia question, dear listener. Spain. For what reason does Spain celebrate its National Day? That's an interesting one. I didn't Mm. look at that. I couldn't tell you. It's the 12th of October and their National Day... Celebrates when Columbus discovered America oh, in 1492. Really,
1: isn't that interesting? Yeah,
0: that's their national day. Wow! Yeah, I because I suppose
1: they see that as the beginning of their empire, don't they? Of their empire days. Yeah, I guess so. The you know the the glory of the empire days when they had most of well, quite a lot of South America and Central America and Mexico.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting. The discovery of another country is yeah, their national day.
1: That's really quite odd, isn't it? Mm.
0: Uh, and I, uh, you know, dear listener, you may recall last week I made some disparaging remarks about Finland. <laughs> How and, you? and and my wife berated me afterwards and said, you, "You idiot! It wasn't Finland they were talking about. She thinks it was Denmark. So I got the, con- I got the country wrong in the first place." So so you know, my apologies to Finland, yes. and a- as part of my penance. Um, for that. You're doing I, penance now. I, I, I am. For having besmirched the good name of Finland, then
2: um it's really I, interesting that Denmark's copped it because I thought well, that like Denmark, Denmark was well. a really beautiful country. <laughs> I did like Denmark, yeah. Look, I, I, and my nephew's just back, back from a European odyssey and he had a great time in Denmark. Yeah, you might have I, to do I, penance I, again.
0: I I've think. yet to confirm the Denmark story. So hold off. I haven't really attacked Denmark <laughs> yet, but I am definitely apologising to Finland. And um, actually, you know, I really should have thought about it because, uh, well, uh, it's quite a famous song. And if I'd have thought about it, I would have not really had those negative thoughts about Finland.
2: Finland, 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 the country where I want to be born, trekking or camping. All <laughs> just watching TV Finland, Finland, Finland It's the country for me You're so near to Russia So far from Japan Quite a long way from Cairo
1: Lots of miles from Vietnam
2: Finland, Finland, Finland the country where I, I want, want to be, be eating breakfast or dinner Or snack lunch in the hall
0: Finland, Finland, Finland Finland,
1: Finland. Finland has it all
0: You're so sadly neglected
1: oh, And yeah. often ignored A or second to Belgium When
0: going abroad very great. nice. It's a great song. It's a very good song, yeah. The, the Monty Python crew were very clever and uh, they had some good tunes in there. Yeah. So a friend of the program, Wayne, he chastised me. He said, um, Hi Trevor, great recent podcast. I feel the need to stand up for the Finnish listeners. I was only there for about 10 days but found the people, very friendly and accommodating. There was even a coffee franchise there called Wayne's Coffee. <laughs> I travelled to Helsinki, Rovinaimi... Then up further into Lapland, a wonderful experience. I've visited over 40 countries and while I acknowledge one cannot really judge a nation on experiences of short visits, I do say for the record, Finland and Ireland are the friendliest countries I've visited. Chat soon, love your work. There we go. So full apologies to Finland and it's now on Thanks the list. Thanks very much
2: for your kind words too,
0: one. Mm. So that was Finland. Um, back to our final topic on Australia Day before we leave and um, I've got a link to the Facebook page of Jacinta Nampijinpa and Paul you're following her page Mm. and she's been very vocal in the past and certainly in recent times in the lead up to Australia Day basically criticising the Greens and other social justice warriors for promoting this discussion when the reality of life for Aboriginal people in remote communities is they don't give a damn about Australia Day. It's the uh, realities of the terrible conditions they're under and the systemic problems and that's what's important to them, not Australia Day. And it's a beat up by either um, white social justice warriors or... uh, Aboriginal leaders who she claims are out of touch with what's going on in remote communities and that they'd have no idea. So she's really tough on them and she's got plenty of flack. And we've got here a link to her page. And I won't read it, guys, because I don't think we can do it it's justice. Long, yes. And But it's a letter that she received from an Aboriginal woman basically telling her story of being raped and beaten and, and just, um, it's a really harrowing story of her life and at the same time uh, basically saying this is the sort of thing that needs to be discussed, not the date of Australia Day, and the fact that a lot of the abuse she received was from her fellow Aboriginal people. Um, so it's a really, really harrowing um, story and yeah, I won't read it, but there's a link there if you're interested. It's um, um, tough going. That way.
2: I'd encourage you, I would encourage our listeners to get on there and read it. It is a very powerful story. Yeah, it um, makes you examine yourself because I found myself falling down that uh, rabbit hole of uh, the Australia Day date mm. rather than what she's actually put up there. Mm.
0: So, and actually follow that uh, (coughs) Jacinta's page because she's got some interesting things to say. She's very interesting, yes. Mm, So she's the one who's the mayor of Alice Springs. Yeah. Yeah. Right, on to some religious topics. Uh, A few quick articles just to run through here. Uh, Victoria's Catholic education sector has accused the federal government of conducting a sham review into the method of ranking non-government schools to determine funding. So... They're not happy that the government is actually looking into uh, how money is funded or split amongst non-government schools. They're claiming it's a sham review. Meanwhile, people on the other side of the fence, such as schools Victoria Chief Michelle Green, she accuses them of waging ill-informed and divisive campaigns. So there's battles going over that. Good luck, Simon Birmingham in tiptoeing through all the uh, religious right-wing nutters in your own party and trying to get some sensible reform done for funding of of, non-government schools. Mm. Another article, um, Australian Catholic bishops have approved the establishment of a national body to give support and voice to Catholic doctors in an increasingly secular culture. Toowoomba Toowoomba bishop... Robert McGuckin, Chairman of the Bishops' Commission for Canon Law, said the National Association will assist Catholic doctors so they may more easily confer on issues which touch the whole of Australia. So here we go. You know, is it not enough for a doctor just to be a member of either the AMA or some other doctors' association? The Catholic doctors have to band together and just divide up the doctor fraternity into religious subgroups now.
2: Did you hear what their main argument was? They were getting together over issues like voluntary euthanasia, which I nice. find ridiculous that they're going down that road because it's something that they are uh, fundamentally opposed to, but it's continually come up that they are on the minority side and, and losing that debate.
0: Mm. Yep.
1: yep. I mean, when I, when I see that... Um, What you just said, Trevor. So they may more easily confer on issues which touch the whole of Australia. I think what it should read is which touch them as Catholics.
2: Mm. Exactly. It's it's not about the whole of
1: Australia. It's it's about them. Mm. It's about them. We know they hold a minority view on many of those issues, particularly voluntary euthanasia. Which? What do you know? The latest uh, poll figures on that. Oh, at least 70% in fact. That's faith. what I would have thought. Mm. So they're not in fact uh pushing for something for the whole of Australia. They're pushing a minority view that but, is in line with their religious guidance, I, I guess.
0: But nobody is forcing doctors to perform either abortion operations no, but, or um, you know, assisted dying procedures. But, but you've forgotten, haven't you Trevor? Yeah. That it doesn't matter what
1: other people want; yeah. it's what the Pope wants that really <laughs> counts. Yeah, I am forgetting, but
0: you know, it's, it's you know, like you can be a Catholic doctor and just have nothing to do with those procedures. There's no problem, so uh, it's just uh, it's it's such a divisive thing to now grab the Catholic doctors together into some sort of lobby group with one of the usual nutbags in charge who will move them along in a certain direction. So, actually, I, I, I got a recording of their first meeting. I'll just play that for you. Today we no longer recognize the universal truth that God is the author of our life and liberty. Abortion, sodomy and materialism have taken the place of life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, that was their first meeting, yeah. Um, Actually, just back to voluntary euthanasia. uh, In Queensland, dear listener, um, there's going to be a big campaign. So we had a Lord Mayor um, about 30 years ago, Clem Jones, a very successful uh, mayor and businessman, and his estate, a lot of money was left to charity. Apparently $5 million out of that is going to be used to fund a big drive in Queensland for volunt you know, assisted dying laws to be come into effect. Seriously. No, really. Mm. So there's gonna be a big campaign in Queensland over the next twelve months inspired by the Victorian decision. And uh, when asked the new leader of the LNP Di Fingleton is it not F- F- Fingleton Fre- or
2: F Fre- yeah.
0: She said, well, I don't see any personal need to change the current laws. And when asked, Anastasia Palaszczuk said, you know, it's not on our agenda, which ignores the fact that it's actually part of Labor Party policy. So we've got um, two leaders who are not interested in the topic and we've got $5 million and a bunch of groups who are now... Uh, eyeing off the Queensland electorate for a big push, so that'll be interesting in the next twelve months. Mm. That
1: is interesting, isn't it? That Absolutely, yeah.
0: Part mm. of the uh, state Labor
1: um, list of things they'd like to work on, isn't it?
0: It's part of their policy. Yeah. It got through on the last um, conference that they had, and the reason it got through was because it got it was snuck on right at well, not snuck on. It was it was. Um, It was voted
2: on by a um, union delegation that was um, –
0: they they put it up at the last minute. It it actually got on on the the agenda because it was so far down the agenda, they never thought they'd get to it. Yeah. And they rattled through a lot of the agenda items and surprise, surprise, they got to it and it got passed. So – they actually allowed it on the agenda thinking they'd never have to deal with it, but it, just the way things turned out. So
1: it's now policy. It's now policy. And yet yeah. the Premier doesn't want to talk about it. No. No. How odd.
2: No, and it, it does make you wonder why the hell she's balked at it, because it's, um, Look, I think. There's... I mean, she she's a Catholic, I know that, but I don't think she's all that practising,
0: is she? I, I don't know, but sometimes these people just lack life experience, I think. And yeah, that's very true. In Victoria, the little bits that you read, it seemed to be politicians who'd actually had a parent who had died in horrendous circumstances. It opened their eyes and to what was yeah, going Daniel on.
2: Daniel Andrews was one of them.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, um, uh, you know, this new LNP leader, she's relatively young and uh, Anastasia's father, at least, is still alive um, They need to experience somebody having a pretty rough death and they might change their minds, you know, it seems. Anyway, that's what's going to happen in Queensland over the next 12 months. A bit of a push in that direction, which is good. Uh, The Pope has been in Chile and they're not too happy with him down there. He got a very cold reception for a Pope in Latin America. It was one of the toughest receptions that the Pope's had in a long time. And the reason? Well child abuse allegations, Uh, there was a priest who was um, accused of child abuse and in 2011 the Vatican found him guilty of abusing teenage boys and the Vatican sentenced him to a lifetime of... What you're doing. Penance you're and through. prayer. That's yes, right. that's right. Are you doing both parts or just the penance I I'm not praying <laughs> for the people of Finland because a previous podcast proved that prayer was actually not beneficial. Seriously? For people. Yeah. It doesn't work? No. Oh. It was, a scientific study was done. Hmm. Keep working on that back catalogue, Paul. <laughs> um, so anyway, at that particular priest, the allegation is that there was another priest who knew all about it According to the victims, and that other priest uh, received a promotion from our current pope. So mm. the people in Chile are going I'm not happy with the pope. So he he uh, he's coming for a tough time. And meanwhile, in Paris, um, have you ever been to a actually? Have you ever been to a Catholic church? Catholic c- church ceremony? Yeah, have you been to a mass? Catholic mass? I
2: don't think I have. To be honest.
0: Right. What about you?
2: Um, yeah, I've been to a Catholic Mass, yeah, several yeah. of them actually how did, yeah.
0: how did it feel to you compared to...
2: Ah, look, it's just, well, it was very different to the way I'd been brought up I'd been brought up in a Presbyterian faith and all that sort of stuff So it was very different because you've got the whole uh, song and dance that they go on with and that sort of thing In
0: the Presbyterian? And then,
2: no, in the, in the Catholics Their dresses is, are more colourful Right. Absolutely, they are. Yeah, and right. they've got altar boys and blah 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 and all that they sort love, of thing. They love the pageantry and of it, don't they? The Catholics. Hmm. They do. Yeah, yeah. Pageantry is the exact word I was looking for. Yeah, okay. And the Presbyterian is a lot more um, run of the mill. Austere, Yes, right. that's one word for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's there's, that was that was that was
0: what the main difference was. There's one thing they've got in common. They both want your money. Yeah. <laughs> They'll all, pass and the, a, they'll
2: all pass a plate around. Is that right? Exactly. They all pass a plate around. The Catholic Church in Paris has gone to a new length that they have adopted new technologies to anticipate the gradual disappearance of cash money. The Paris Diocese says it will introduce a system allowing contactless card payments during Sunday's Mass at St. Blah, 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 Francois de Moltaire, a church located in upscale and conservative Paris neighborhood. So basically what you can do is you can just um, run your credit card over the thing that they pass around.
0: Yep, a quick tap and go. Or your code. smart exactly. watch. Yeah. These or days. your smart watch, yeah, exactly. You know, when we were at Hillsong, uh, when we went to that uh, performance and they passed the plate around, you were a very clever tough man because you just put an, you put an empty envelope in the... Uh, in the boxes that was going around, whereas I just did nothing. And um, But it won't be long. They'll Should be, I
1: do penance for that? They'll be passing <laughs> some
0: sort of uh, electronic payway machine as well. I would have thought it Hillsong.
1: And as we know, with uh, the IT that's available today, they mm-hmm. can probably, at, you know, after the service, they can probably go through a list, through an electronic list, which tells them exactly which of their regular parishioners um, gave and how much they gave.
2: Mm, Exactly.
1: Send them an email. Sorry, wasn't enough.
2: Well, that's what what could happen with this because the Catholic Church can get a list of all their donors and the amounts per donation, blah, 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 blah. Sinister, isn't it? It Mm. is. Well, it certainly could be looked on as very sinister because it... um, it really does remove the anonymity, which, you know, they've always had the anonymity with those little envelopes that you used to, you know, you'd, you'd always make your, an anticipated donations pledge at the beginning of the year. But you never actually had to write your name on the envelopes.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Um... So when you were in church, was it an envelope, Scott, or was it just you put the cash straight in the box?
2: Oh, look, there were envelopes there for those that turned up on a regular basis, but for those for those of us that just turned up because it was a, you know, submarine date or whatever you like you call it, you know, you turned up because it was the – because you're going date. there with the submarine – well, the submarine Catholics, you surf, the surface on special occasions. <laughs> <laughs> surface Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Surface on special occasions.
2: You right? Surface on special occasions. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's when I went. Okay. And that was just, you'd just throw, you just mm. grab loose coins from your pocket and throw it in the plate. Uh, what I, I wasn't aware of is that the bastards send the plate around twice for you in the Catholic I Church. They do, yes, <laughs> yes. They do. do they really
1: yeah. Do really? If they're not happy with the takings. No,
0: just, no, just, just send it around, around It's twice. routine. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten that, Scott. Because I was an yeah. altar boy in the Catholic Church and... As an altar, and you would um, stand at the end of the, the pews as the, and, and move it along. Hope, yeah, so I think I did. It's so long ago now. But anyway, yeah, twice sounds correct. That does sound right to me, Scott.
2: Yeah, it was. They hit it was the around twice. Now, I don't know whether the second one was for overseas missionaries or what the story was, but there was some reason why they did it twice.
0: Oh, wow. Hey, uh, mm. just on submarines... So last week, (laughs) dear listener, you might remember the story of the Indian uh, submarine where the hatch was left open and causing enormous damage. And we, at the same time, had a story about the secret and how if you wish for something, then according to the secret, uh, it would come true. And funnily enough, um, dear listeners, on our website, we have a... An ability to leave a voicemail message and uh, and it's great when people ring through with a voicemail message and we've been fortunate enough to receive a voicemail which explains the Indian submarine incident, so just sit back and listen to this
2: Goodness gracious me It is always dive, dive, dive on this submarine Oh, I want the sun on my skin and the wind in my hair why can't I have this? Oh what's this book? The secret? If I just wish I can have? I Raju Singh wish for an outdoor life for the sun for the wind in my hair. Uh oh.
1: I think you should expect uh, communication from the Indian Embassy in Canberra over that. That's extremely offensive.
2: Oh, Raju Singh, you have
0: excelled yourself. On this yeah, thank
2: occasion. you very much. Is it Raju Singh, was it? Raji Singh. Raji Singh, thank you so much. That's really brought a warm feeling to my heart. Thank oh, you.
0: Raji. I listened to that about three times and <laughs> really wet myself every time. It was fantastic. Yeah. So, um, oh, I
2: don't
0: know. I, you know, we're offending people all the time. The, the Finns have offended now. The Indians, yeah. yeah. There's a lot
1: more Indians in the world
0: than there are Finns, Fist. You know, you know I'm thinking I might offend the Chinese just so that I can apologise later. Okay. I
2: like. Chinese,
0: I like Chinese. Clearly, I was listening to too much Monty Python over the past week. But uh, well, you're gonna
2: have to watch yourself, <laughs> because you're, you're offending our future overlords and masters. So.
0: <laughs> I've got to be careful, yeah, I've got to be careful. But uh, Raju's saying very good. I hope to hear from Raju again in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Right, on a more serious note, um, uh, the Ruddock panel. Dear listener, thank God I had that extension. Uh, I was telling the boys before we started recording uh, some events in my personal life, which meant I've got a very, very, very good excuse for not having done my submission yet. But fear not, we've got links to lots of alternatives that you can copy and paste from and get yours in uh, without waiting for me. And uh, the first one I'm going to refer to is from the Atheist Foundation, and I quite like this one. Because, uh, it's short and sharp. It's short and sharp, and to the yeah. point. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to read uh, a little bit from it, and I think they spoke in plain English, direct language. So here we go. From the this is from their parts of their submission. Um, it is of. Concerned to us that there appears to be an effort to legislate to grant special exemptions to religious groups from laws that apply to other members of the community, calls for religious believers to be allowed to express their religious beliefs by refusing to supply goods and services to certain members of the public should be rejected out of hand and revealed in their true light as discriminatory behaviour. For example, a focus of these calls recently has been on bakers of cakes for same-sex weddings. There is no credible basis to a claim that discrimination against same-sex marriage should be allowed and no logical difference between this and allowing a religious baker to refuse to serve a Muslim, a Jewish person or a dark-skinned woman, an adulterer or a disobedient child, all of whom fit into categories of persons uh, exoriated in the Bible or by a religious tradition, so that's a good point. So when Ruddick's looking for examples, uh, this atheist example, atheist foundation example, is a good one. Is that if you are going to allow that, then you have to allow discrimination on the basis of virtually anything that might be found in the Bible or in some holy text. So,
1: I personally think there's some merit in refusing service to a disobedient child. <laughs> <laughs>
0: A good point, 12th man. Good. Well spotted. Uh, discrimination in employment on religious grounds should only be allowed when the actual position requires a religious qualification, that is, for the appointment of ministers, imams, preachers, etc. Discrimination in employment should be absolutely prohibited in institutions run by religious groups but funded to any extent by public money... This means schools, hospitals, retirement and hospice care services and employment services. Good point. Uh, They give the example of discrimination in schools that's currently allowed and a young teacher being sacked because she's pregnant and unmarried and they say that to suggest her mere presence on the grounds of the school will undermine the morals of her students gives far too much credit to Australian teenagers and is a naive attitude in general. It also carries faint echoes of biblical passages that declare women unclean during parts of their menstrual cycle or for periods after birth. Worst of all, it attempts to shield students from the real world, where half of marriages end in divorce, people have the right to engage in relationships that are not formalised with marriage, where men do love other men and women do love other women, and where 30% of the population are agnostic or atheist with about 90% of the remainder never engaging in any actual religious practice despite declaring their faith. Um, Uh, The right to discriminate in this way is represented as a fine exercise of religious morality. How preposterous this is coming from organisations that have systematically facilitated and covered up child sexual abuse for decades and claim to practice a faith based on the teachings of Jesus Christ who apparently welcomed sinners and did not judge them. The rule of law is the only civil way to control the excesses of religious practice. Civil society has done this many times in the past. There we go. It's it's the main gist of it.
2: Good one, I reckon.
0: Yeah, it's well written.
2: It's very well done, yeah. I read the whole thing. It was very good.
0: Yeah. You, of course, would disagree with the Twelfth Man, because you think a cake baker should be able to... Um, refuse service to all those people but we've done
1: that to death no no you're you're distorting what what (laughs)
0: my (laughs) position i'm sorry (laughs) but
1: i mean in in most cases as i've already stated i i don't think there should be uh discrimination on any of those bases except as i said before You know, custom made goods. I I think business people should be entitled to choose to not do something because it's just not what they feel like creating. But on all other counts, I'm absolutely
0: in, uh, I'm I'm backing what is in that letter. Okay, very good. Uh, There's a link to a radio interview by Chris Schott, who is one of the ambassadors for the National Secular Lobby. Well, he's talking on ABC Radio about the Ruddock review, and Chris shot gives a pretty good um conversation. It gets a good run from the presenter, so that's in Adelaide obviously Brian Morris and his crew are from there, so they've got built up good relationships with some of the media down there and I take it you have a link to
1: the recording of the Chris shot interview yes yeah, it's a good one. I listened to it
0: this
2: afternoon right It is very good, isn't it?
0: Nothing was said that we wouldn't be aware of already, I think, but it was just nice to hear it said on on ABC radio broadcast. a
1: former Australian senator, Mm. and we need more people like him actually standing up for secular values.
0: Mm. Uh, I've got an article here where um, uh, Christian groups are lamenting the persecution that they're suffering in Canada. Uh, Headline... Uh, from this religious-friendly news website says, Trudeau is asking religious Canadians to betray their conscience. conscience." Uh, Starts off with, thousands of years ago, before Christians could practise their faith legally, they often faced persecution from the Roman government. If captured, however, a suspected Christian could avoid punishment by performing a simple sacrifice dedicated to the emperor. I mean this is the start of the of the persecution that they mm. are painting a picture for here and the article goes on to say that uh what's happening is that um that firms in Canada that wish to employ youth on summer jobs programs which gets sort of a subsidy from the government, have to agree, have to sort of tick a box in a a sign-up form to say that they agree with the Canadian Charter of Rights, which includes uh, women's rights and women's reproductive rights. So you're a Christian group. You're running some sort of business. You're wanting to employ some cheap summer job labour, and the government's providing some assistance for you, and they're simply saying... Uh, if you want this funding, you've got to tick the box to say you observe our uh, Charter of Rights. It's part of our law. And these numbskulls are saying, well, that's just persecution equivalent to what was suffered by Christians in the Roman era.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit hard to swallow that, isn't it? You know, it's um, you know they must have been smoking wacky tobacco to actually come up with that sort of Comparison. Yeah. Because it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. You know, uh, it's ridiculous, actually.
0: It's it's the new thing. It's for Christians to claim persecution, victimhood, and uh, seeking special rules mm. as a result. Exactly. Uh, Some commentators um, would say that
1: this... Um extreme defensiveness on the part of Christian communities these days is a clear sign that they do feel that their position is becoming more tenuous. As we know, secularisation is gradually transforming people's conception of the world. Yep. And fewer and fewer people are swallowing the religious mumbo-jumbo and uh, they're under pressure and they're, they're, they're pushing back.
0: Well, we've got a link to an article uh, where the Sydney Criminal Lawyers Association interviewed Marion Maddo- Maddox, and she uh, has written some great books on religion in Australia. So, like, she is the authority, Marion Maddox. And in that article, she said that uh, in the past, um, the religious Christian religious groups have not wanted a Bill of Rights style of um, right to religious freedom because they knew it meant that other religions would also get those rights and they didn't want them to. So they wanted to be able to criticise uh, Islam and... and uh, Judaism and Hinduism. Yes, yeah. and... Um, So they they weren't willing to take a a freedom of religion, Bill of Rights type of um, um, power because they knew it would apply to all religions. But in more recent times, they're starting to talk about that sort of... uh, of leaning towards wanting that sort of thing. And she's arguing it's because they can see that they're really losing ground and they'll now put up with other religions being um equally empowered um but at least it sort of will, will will prevent all of them from losing more ground and more power so that was her analysis of of the initial objection to a bill of rights style protection of religious freedom and more recent desire to
2: mm,
0: maybe think it's a good idea mm. so that's Mary Maddox was her view sounds about right to me yeah um, it sounds
2: um, right to me too. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, let me just see here what we've got. Uh, oh, um, feedback from a listener. That was from Caitlin. She said, Love your work. Your podcasts are excellent, and your political commentary and general banter really improve my day. Thank you. That was from Caitlin. That was nice. Very cool.
2: Thank you very much, Caitlin.
0: Um, uh, I won't run through the. Actually, I was looking at some statistics of our podcast. And uh, to date, there's been 18,300 downloads in Australia. Is that right? The next country on the list with 6,153 downloads, so a third of the downloads that have been done in Australia... Go ahead. Finland. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Uh, in fact, I can look up Finland, because this is the thing. Now, I'm paying my penance that whenever we do a study of countries, we will do um, we will include Finland. And uh, it was on the list here somewhere. I know. Finland, five downloads. I reckon really? that was Wayno when he was in Finland and enjoying himself there and <laughs> following the podcast. Um, he downloaded. But getting back to what I was going to say, Scott... So, 18,000 in Australia, Uh, there's another country where there's been 6,000 downloads, a third of of the Australian, equal to a third of the Australian downloads, and that country, Scott, is Japan. Is that right? That's surprising. I don't know what's going on there. So... I mean,
2: you've got we've got we've got that listener over there in Japan we've got that Ayama, um, is all, a yes, patron. Ayama, and uh, he's a patron, yes.
0: And you know, Ayama well, would be responsible for 131 downloads. I would have thought, <laughs> you know, yeah. maybe 260 he if he's got a couple of maybe. devices. But
2: yeah, 6, but you wouldn't have thought he would be responsible for three thousand. I don't
1: no. know. six thousand or oh, 6,000. Yeah. That's interesting.
2: So
0: who are you?
1: Look, it is a big country. Let's not forget the population is around 100, 126 million. Right. That's a lot of people.
0: Yeah.
1: English language is very popular as a hobby. Right. As, and even a lot of people use it in their occupations. Right. So, you know, there's, there are a lot of people in Japan who do speak English and probably would enjoy an interesting
0: podcast from a few knockabout Aussie blokes well I'm very curious to know who these Japanese listeners are because dear Japanese listener I'm going to be in Japan at the end of February early March if you're in Kyoto or Nozawa Onsen Uh, Send us a message We'll catch up for a beer or a sake or something like that. Yeah, I might even go
1: home, do some homework with Mm. Japanese language and come back with a message. Right. Next time I'm invited, I'll come back with a message and deliver it in my best
0: Japanese for our Japanese listeners. It could be your special interest area of Japan has has created this. But that's very interesting. Don't know what's going on. It is, yeah, absolutely. Please, if you are in Japan and downloading um let us know the other one what's was,
2: the number um, of download downloads from china it was 260 yeah
0: <laughs> so i reckon that was street that's walker. my brother yeah it was, <laughs> was Streetwalker, walker and he's probably got two devices and he's yeah, downloading on both yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah i wonder if my friend brendan who lives in beijing right. downloads the podcast if you're listening brendan
0: hi i mm, don't know so, well, that's um,
2: possible then because that could be my brother and, and brendan yeah
0: yeah it could be so um so that's that. Anyway, uh, to
2: our Japanese listeners, origota.
0: Yeah. How was the pronunciation there? Terrible. Oh, uh, what would be,
1: <laughs> give us your best. Well, how should it be said, for Nihonjin no gozaimasu. Very good. Very good. I was only saying ah, ah, no, okay. a, a, a,
2: no
1: oh, a, arigato.
2: Anyway. Arigato.
1: Okay. Yeah.
2: That's
0: it. <laughs> Here's an article um, about a Pakistani humanist Um, So who was applying for political asylum in the UK. So he said, I'm not, um, you know, I'm being discriminated against back in the home country because I'm a humanist. Um, Please allow me to stay. And the UK Home Office questioned him on his knowledge of humanism. And because uh, he failed to identify Plato, he was knocked back. That's a it's bit
1: rough. That's an odd
0: story, isn't
2: it? Yeah. It is It is very odd because, you know, it, it makes the point that humanism is not defined by a descriptive um, thing. It's just a – it can just be a different word for atheist, you know?
0: Yes. And um, – the, the Home Office said, Hamza bin Walayat, <clears throat> failure to identify Plato and Aristotle as humanist philosophers – indicated his knowledge of humanism was rudimentary at best. Was Plato a humanist? So, well, it depends on your definition of humanist, doesn't it, I suppose? Yeah, he's ancient so, Greece. Yeah. Uh, I mean... Anyway... Uh, I'll have to you know, do some homework on that one. Yeah. So, um,
2: See, he's, but he's got here later saying he's formed a relationship with a non-Muslim partner and refusing to conform to the expectations of conservative Islam. Surely he could just get married to this woman then he'd be able to stay there, wouldn't he? Um,
0: I don't know. I don't know if it works yeah. um, as simply as that. Um, on another topic, I don't know if I sent you guys this one, but um, it was a story about... Um, drug brochures being handed out at schoolies. Did I, You did
2: send it through okay. to me, yeah, it's okay. the uh, Channel 7 News, wasn't
0: um, it? Yeah, I'll just play a little grab for the dear listener, just hold on. Hotel managers on the Gold Coast are furious after finding out information booklets targeted at schoolies last year had links with a controversial religion.
2: This manager says a volunteer from the Drug Free World organisation gave her hotel hundreds.
0: It's very deceiving because I didn't expect it to be related to a religion or a cult following. Thoughts, gentlemen?
2: Well, you know she's got to expect that a lot of those people that are down there at that time of year are trying to expand their flock. Um, I suppose the Scientologists have been guilty of concealing who they are and that type of thing because they do have lots of organisations that sound quite nice and that type of thing, but then when you look into them, they are essentially religious organisations. So, you
0: know,
2: I'm... I'm sympathetic with her, but I think she should have understood that that was going to happen.
0: Here's a trivia question for you. Who's the most mm-hmm. well-known volunteer organisation at Schoolies Week? The Red Frogs. Frogs. And, Red Frogs. And who is behind Red Frogs? Uh, it's,
2: no, it's a, um, it's a church organisation of some description. I couldn't yep. tell you who the... the
0: Unsurprising, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's mm. one of those Pentecostal... Um, yeah. Hill song-y, um religious groups. So it's exactly the same thing. Like, this whole report from Channel 7 went much longer than that clip. But at the end of the day, they could have run the whole same story that the, red the people frogs. handing out red frogs are actually nutbag Christians who are using it as an opportunity to recruit Look, young schoolies to their group.
1: Let's face it. Anywhere you get large groups of teenagers, it's like, uh, you know... Blow flies to dead kangaroos. Um, that's where the, the Christian evangelical groups go. Mm. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, actually, i have just... Sorry, while you're doing that, I was clicking on to my next article and it was the Marion Maddox one, which we already talked about. Unless you had something further you want to add to that? I'll just move on from that one. And... Um, oh, now... Um, We've had to cut short. We were watching a little bit of tennis before we started the podcast and this is our commitment to the podcast, dear listener. There's a Roger <laughs> Federer tennis match on and the 12th man and I have dragged ourselves away to podcast for it's you. It's true
1: commitment. It is. To give up watching Roger in action to do this podcast. It is.
0: Uh, there's a tennis player whose name, first name is Tennis. T-E-N-N-Y-S. Tennis Sandgren. So he's... Um, One of these guys who is not highly ranked, but he's made it through to the very late rounds of the Australian Open. And people have gone, fantastic story. Guy from a young guy breaking through, um, you know, lowly ranked, but beating more fancied opponents and, uh, you know, feel good story, yeah? Problem is, People have gone through his Twitter and Facebook profile. Oh, and
2: really? What they find? It
0: turns out he's, been he's very sympathetic up. to neo Nazi groups. Is it neo Nazi groups? <laughs> well, is it neo Nazi groups? Let me just see here. Uh, oh, which are the groups? Um, uh, Alt right figures. Um, uh, and there's a whole list of them. Sangren, um, there's more than 500 Twitter. Follows feature a man who's a who's who of hateful from the alt right. So he he basically they're saying that he follows a whole bunch of people from the alt right, um, and he was questioned at um, in one of his interviews as to whether he's a far right sympathiser, etc. So so here we have feel good story. Everyone, good on you, mate. Within a very short while, you know. Twitter or Facebook feed, ah, whoops, maybe he's not so nice anymore, falls out of favour. What yeah. would, what word would you use to describe this phenomenon? He has been milkshake ducked. <laughs> Perfect, Scott. There you go. So you thought that, the, that that was a strange choice of word for word of the year. Still
2: it is a strange choice of word, but, you know, it's just, um, still it's just been used, yeah.
0: Yeah, but there you go. Uh, Tennis, yes. and I put it to you, has been
1: milkshake ducked. Yeah, but let's not condemn him too quickly because we don't really know
0: the guy and
1: uh, I, I wouldn't uh, personally... I, I'm
0: not condemning him either, but I'm just simply saying that social media and yeah. the world and it, it is the milkshake duck phenomena has applied here. Yeah. 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 After I mean, I don't speaking. know his
1: politics personally. I haven't read the story, but, um, you know, based on a Twitter storm, I wouldn't, um, you know, go in too hard on anyone. Yeah,
0: yeah. And just while we're on the subject of tennis... Give me a break about Nick Kyrgios. I mean, the number of people saying, oh, he's improved <laughs> and he's, you know, much more mature. Even and, I said that. And, yeah, and even you said that. And, and I watched his match with, um, that he lost to, which was... Uh, the, the Bulgarian guy. Yes. Uh, da, da, da. That's going to annoy me. Dimitrov. 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 And, um, look, he whacked a ball into the stand out of anger which he should have been penalised for. He and he didn't get a penalty. he uh, didn't get a penalty. He castigated his own crew in the box, telling them... "Like Why He's not? playing a tennis match where he's presumably got to concentrate on what he's doing. He hits a shot out, looks to his box, and they're sitting down. And he says, stand up, stand up, demanding that the people in his box stand up. So they all jump up. And, um, and then he's whinging and complaining about this the tension in these rackets, saying that they're stupid because they couldn't get one thing right, the only thing they had to do, and called for a new tennis racket to be restrung and they didn't even use it. And, and this is put forward as, as Kyrgios 2.0, the new mature model. Give me a break. A bit of, still
1: a bit of a prima donna, isn't he? Yeah.
0: A
2: bit of a prima
0: donna? I want The point
2: against you, Mr McEnroe. He's
0: got a long way to go. <laughs>
1: A hell of a long way to go. Um, mm. He's still young. He's only
2: 22,
0: is he? What? How old is Nick now? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think I, I missed... Old enough to know better. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, just in Queensland, there was talk about... All the kids going back to school and how many of them are not signing up for religious instruction classes and the head of the teachers union, Kevin Bates, said it's crazy that we've got religious instruction in our schools. It should be out of our, <coughs> our public schools. And we have a new, relatively new minister for education, Grace Grace. And she said, eh, I'm "Not going to change it. Quite happy with the situation." So, um, with Tim Mander as a former Scripture Union man, um, as, the, as deputy the deputy opposition, opposition, opposition don't, uh, don't hold your breath waiting for religious instruction classes to to cease in Queensland. Unfortunately, yeah, it's disappointing, isn't
2: it? Yeah, it is very disappointing.
0: Mm. Um, what else have we got here? Uh, quick one on economics, an article that I've got a link to about Adam Smith. So, Scott, you would have done economics, having done... Oh, economics.
2: I did do economics and that sort of stuff, and hmm. I hadn't read this about Adam Smith until you sent it through to me. Yeah. yeah.
0: So he was famous for his invisible hand, that the market was the best way of determining how you know, the economics of our society should work. So rather than the sort of Soviet-style deciding from the top what to produce and sell, central plan, leave it up to the market and supply and demand will sort out the best, most efficient use of resources. And he's held up as being um, an icon of the sort of free-market, neoliberal sort of world view. You know, Adam Smith, but uh, this article um, says something that I never knew, Scott, which was that Adam Smith was actually quite worried about the power of of the of the trades at the time. Mm. That they distorted the market, and yeah. that they had control over the political players and worked the market to their own advantage. So mm-hmm. he was actually. A loud advocate of a problem that he couldn't see fixing, which was that vested interests in control of of certain um, aspects of industry had control of the politicians and were therefore distorting the market. So, yep. Um, so, yeah. Um,
2: it was very interesting that you go into that. He, he's dead. On, he's dead right. You know, this is a guy that was writing in 1776. Was the Wealth of Nations. You know, and he has. His work has been co-opted by the neo-right. There's no doubt about that. But you know, it says it quite there. That um, oh, I've lost it now. Anyway, it, it says there that the the trades, as he called them back then, could end up controlling the market. So he's dead right. He, he was a prophet. He was a prophet more than anything else, wasn't he? Was
0: he? yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the way that powerful interests could control political decision makers and have a distorted market. So. Yeah, that was Adam Smith, which I had no idea that he'd made comments along those lines. Mm. Um, uh, I was listening to a podcast, I think it might have been one from Late Night Live, Philip Adams, interviewing Guy, talking about GDP. And he was saying that GDP is a really poor indicator of how well an economy's going. and. Uh, The best way of thinking about it was summed up in this analogy, which was um, if a man uh, has got a maid employed who's cleaning his house and cooking his meals and things like that, okay, uh, if he marries that maid, then GDP falls because her work then becomes unpaid work as his spouse and it's not counted in GDP. So... There's there's a lot of distortions in the whole GDP system and what people count, and as a measure of how well a country's going, it just doesn't measure where wealth is going to and how well a society is functioning. It's a really um, uh, ugly statistic that was kind of used by people who wanted to promote growth and their own agenda rather than an accurate view of how a society was going. So that was one about um, GDP and in that discussion they, uh, they talked about a thing called the Human Development Data Index and that's one where they look at all sorts of things in a society such as Education, environment, gender, health, human security, income, inequality, mobility and communication, poverty, trade and financial flows, work, employment and vulnerability. So, um, basically looking at statistics in all those areas and then coming up with an index based on that.
1: Sounds very complicated, but um, certainly I totally take your point that just GDP is not a very accurate measure of a country's um prosperity or relative um well-being is it yeah
0: so if you're interested in that topic you can go to the link and have a look and you can um filter for the different criteria that i just mentioned or just the index itself and then you can filter different countries and it's got charts there plotting how well they've been doing over the last 15 years and um Australia, of course, doing exceptionally well on the Human Development Index. Like, I struggled to find a country that was doing better. How about um, Finland? How was, was Finland? Yeah, well, and yes, Finland. Uh, I've got three on the screen here. And uh, we've got Australia. S- United States was below it. And then Finland was below the United States, actually. I thought Finland might have performed better. Um, really? Yeah. Finland did worse than the United States? Yes, on this index. So... Um, it's bizarre. Uh, but, yeah, you can just plug in any country and add it to the um, to this graph and it'll sort of show how you go. I'll add Germany here and see how. So Germany uh, ranks above the United States, sort of overtaking it. Well, it was behind until about 2010 and then Germany went ahead of the US. Um, uh, let's see if there's another, i put Finland on there, didn't I? Uh, Japan, we'll throw Japan in there. And Japan ranks just above Finland, below the United States. Um, so anyway, that was an interesting sort of way of looking at the world, I think. Um, Ooh. Uh, now, let me just see here. Uh, a couple of thank yous, um, patrons. Thank you, Ayame. Thank you, James, Selena, Caitlin, Tony, Steve, Brett, Sean, Alex, Alison, Waino, Jason, Grant, John, Craig and Janelle. Um, Thank you for Brett, who's made a comment. He's submitted his... um, He's putting a submission to the panel, to Ruddock's panel. Good on you, Brett. And uh, also, I think it might have been Brett... Paul, did you do your homework and listen to the, um, uh, the theory about psychotic chickens? Oh, look, I
1: did every, all parts of my homework except <laughs> the psychotic chickens. Sorry.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, you but know, it you might...
1: sent me a recording
0: of um, a song. Yes. So... Um, so... Um, so, yeah, so dear listeners, you know, regular listeners will know, you know, the story of breeding chickens as yeah, well told and, me last yeah, time. Yeah, right? exactly. So, yeah. thank you. Um, thank you uh, to our patrons. You, you're doing the right thing, and, and you're not a psycho chicken. <laughs> I can't seem to face up to the facts. I'm tense and nervous and I can't relax. This Colonel Sanders job is getting me down. A crazy chicken chasing me all over town.
1: Ah! Psycho chicken.
2: stuck in my head that
0: was a real earworm that one that one would stick in your head dear listeners great
2: does stick in your head doesn't it
0: great contributions this week dear listeners messages left right and center Raju Singh and Brett and the psycho chickens and everybody else thank you for your contributions because it does make a difference knowing that there are people out there listening and and getting into it so good on you so I think that'll do us gentlemen uh That's a will wrap-up, episode 131, and we'll be back again next week. We'll talk to you then.
2: Thank you so much for listening. Bye now.
0: Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing... Something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, "Hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to." And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Vis Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone, and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon. And there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really...